Good morning, church family and guests. I hope you are feeling welcome. All right, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. As we begin a brief series for three parts called Face to Face with God, and I'll explain where that title comes from in just a minute. Now, we're going to be looking at some experiences in the life of Moses, who is one of the most significant uh, people in the, the outworking of God's plan of redemption, this amazing, glorious plan that God has been uh, unfolding through the centuries to draw us from our brokenness, our separation from Him because of our sin into relationship with Himself, revealing who He is and ultimately accomplishing that great work of redemption through Jesus on the cross. And Moses, uh, at the end of the first five books of the Bible, the portion we call the Torah or the Law, uh, these five books that are so closely associated with Moses, at the end of it, there's a remarkable comment about Moses, Deuteronomy 34.10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So it's obvious Moses had a unique role in God's plan. God used him to lead the Israelites out of slavery uh, in Egypt. God used him to, to write uh, a foundational portion of our Bibles, of the Scripture, and Moses was the main leader for the Israelites for some 40 years. In light of that, you might be thinking, okay, well, he's amazing. I'm not so amazing. What do we have in common? What can I possibly learn from his life? Here's the thing. If you're a believer in Jesus today, and I, I know most of you are, uh, and if you're not, I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here to to check it out and to hear about Jesus. Uh, but if you are a believer in Christ today, like Moses, you have been chosen. God has chosen you to do some very important things. And that's not my opinion. Look at Ephesians 2.10. This was written to ordinary people, just like us, who are believers in Jesus. And it says, we, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Through our relationship with Christ, through our faith connection with Jesus, we've been created in Him, look at it, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're a believer in Christ, God has good works that He has planned for you to do. 
Now, they may not be as spectacular as, you know, being used by God to divide the Red Sea or something like that. But you know what? It's still, those good works are still vitally important to the outworking of his plan of calling men and women and children into relationship with himself and, and basically changing the world and changing people's lives. God's plan has always been to work through ordinary people. You might read about Moses and go, man, that guy was amazing. Well, you know, he really wasn't. He was an ordinary guy, but God did extraordinary things through him. And so there, there, we're like Moses in some ways, not in the role, but in who he was and, and the fact that God had things for him to do. We're like Moses in other ways, too one of which is what we're going to be focusing on uh, today, and that's this. Sometimes we're, we are reluctant to do those good things that God has for us to do. And we make excuses for why we're not doing them. That's what Moses did when God first appeared to him. You may know the story of God appearing to him in this burning bush. God gave him a very big job to do. Let's read about it. It's Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look at this burning bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So... I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. <laughs> okay, put yourself in Moses' sandals for just a few minutes. <laughs> he knows all about Egypt. He grew up there. In fact, he grew up as royalty there. But then he came to discover that he was not an Egyptian after all. He was an Israelite. And so, when he was about 40 or so, he decides to kind of take things into his own hands, take the law into his own hands, and, and help them out. And he ends up killing an Egyptian who's mistreating an Israelite. But then that gets discovered, and he has to flee for his life from Egypt. And then he winds up in exile in desert, in the desert for another 40 years. And now, here's God telling him to go back. To go back to where he was a wanted man. Go back and rescue. Just let yourself try to imagine this. 
rescue the Israelites from slavery in what is probably the most powerful nation on the planet at that time. Imagine what thoughts were running through Moses' head. Actually, we don't have to imagine because he tells us. In the following verses, he basically, okay, so this is what he's going to do. He's going to tell God that God's plan is not a good idea, okay? And he's, he's not going to do it. He doesn't want to do it. But he doesn't come right out and say that. He doesn't come out and just say no, because that would be flat-out disobedience. And Moses knows, just as you and I know, that you know, telling God no is, is wrong. Flat-out disobedience, you don't do that. You just don't tell God no. He's God. Or you don't say no to God and get away with it. So what he does instead is, and what we sometimes do, is make excuses. Make excuses. Excuses are what we use to try to avoid responsibility for something that we should do. Maybe we've failed at something we were supposed to do, and we don't really want to own that failure, so we've got excuses. Or maybe we know there's something we're supposed to do and we don't want to do it. We want to get out of it. So we offer reasons, reasons why that responsibility is not really our responsibility. And that's what Moses does. He gives God several reasons for why God should excuse him from this responsibility. And we're going to look at these excuses because they're frankly a lot like the excuses we sometimes use. But more importantly, we're going to look at God's answers, how he answers each one of these excuses, because I think that's the big lesson for us here. The lesson is this, for, for each excuse we try to give God for why we can't do or why we shouldn't have to do, what he wants, he has an answer for each excuse for why we can and we should. God has a promise to overcome every excuse. And what we've got to learn to do is to shift our attention off of our excuses and put them on God's promises. So let's look at the first one, chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Excuse number one, I'm not adequate. I'm not adequate. Think about it. The last time Moses tried to intervene on behalf of the Israelites, it blew up in his face. Had to run for his life. That's 40 years ago. He's 80. He's 80 years old. He's married. He's got kids. He's probably making a decent living there in the desert. It's probably not fancy, but he's doing okay. He's comfortable. Why would he want to go back to Egypt to where he was a wanted man and stir up a hornet's nest? So he says, wait a minute, Lord. I think, you, I think you've reached the wrong bush I can't do that. 
me. I'm nobody. I am absolutely nobody. I, I can't do that. I'm not adequate. Who am I to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, there's a good side to this in that Moses no longer trusts in himself, no longer trusts in his own resources, his own abilities to pull this off. That's probably why God sent him to the desert for 40 years in the first place, to learn some humility. God does that. But here's the thing about humility. Not trusting in yourself is only good if it leads to trusting in God instead. See, the key issue really isn't, who am I? The key issue is, who is he? Notice God's answer in verse 12. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And if you think about it, this one promise from God should blow away every excuse. This should just settle the issue. When we get focused on our inadequacy, God's answer is, I'll be with you. Okay. All right. Yes, Moses, you are inadequate. You are inadequate by yourself, but that's not the point, because you're not going by yourself. I will be with you. And that makes all the difference. Last week, Tyler talked about the command Jesus gave us as believers in Christ to make disciples of every nation on earth. That is, Christian, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your co-workers, tell the people of your community, tell people of other languages and other cultures all over the world, tell them the good news of Jesus so that they can believe in him, so that they can have a relationship with him, so that they can receive eternal life and be delivered from the consequences, the, the death that sin brings about, so that they can obey him and trust him. That's, that's our task. Boy, you talk about a huge job. I mean, you really think about worldwide task of making disciples kind of sounds like, you know, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt is nothing compared to that. And look at us. Look at us. Look around. Talk about inadequate. You feel it. I feel it. But when he gave the command... He also gave a promise, didn't he? Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yes, you're an adequate. You probably, you know, I'm sure there are times, there have to be times when you think, I am completely inadequate to do anything for God. I am inadequate to do the work that God wants me to do. Yes, you are. There's not a person in this room that can make a disciple in your own resources, in your own strength. You can't convince people to believe in Jesus by your own efforts. But that's completely beside the point. Because he is with you, and he will make disciples through you. 
So that excuse doesn't cut it. I'm not adequate doesn't work because he's with you. Number two, Moses said to God, this is verse 13. Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Excuse number two, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Now, you might be thinking, well, it's not that hard of a question. What's his name? Just tell him his name. It's not hard. Well, that's because you've got you've to understand the, the question Moses is really asking. Because this, the question, what is his name, means a lot more in Hebrew than it means to us. To us, name is just a label. You know, What's his name? Yahweh. Okay, end of story. No, it's much more than that. The Israelites have already heard of God's name, Yahweh. Uh, that's that word Lord in your English Bibles in all capital uh, letters. When you see that, that's actually the name Yahweh. What they're really asking is, what is his character? What is he like? Tell us about God. Tell us everything there is to know about God. It's a theological question. And Moses doesn't really have an answer. Okay, well, look at God's answer beginning in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, by the word way, that word Yahweh is closely connected to the verb to be. So I am who I am and Yahweh are very much interlinked. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you. See, now he's describing himself. I've watched over you. I've seen what's been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, in the land of the Canaanites, etc., a land flowing with milk and honey. When you boil it down, God's answer is, Moses, tell them what I've told you. You don't know what to say? Here's what to say. Tell them what I tell you. And the implied promises, and that will be enough. Tell them what I've told you, and it will be enough. Tell them who I am. I'm the same God who made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've not forgotten you. I know your situation. I know your every sorrow. And now the time has come for the promise to be fulfilled. Tell them that, Moses. And as you go on to the end of chapter 3, God lays out a plan for how Moses is to go to Pharaoh and what he's to say to him. And in the first part of chapter 4, God deals with the question, well, what if they don't believe me? The point is, God gives Moses the message and says, tell them what I tell you. Now, isn't that exactly the same responsibility God has given you if you're a believer in Jesus? Remember Jesus' command to make all disciples, disciples of all nations includes these words, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. 
Paul told the Thessalonian Christians, we also thank God continually because when you received the word, the message of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. Galatians 1.11, the gospel I preached is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Peter said, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. We've got to remember, the message is from God. We don't create the message. We don't modify the message. We share the message. It's God's message. He's told us to tell others what he's told us. Where do we get that message? 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture. God's Word written down for our good. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. You see what that's saying? God's saying, my message is enough. My message is enough for people to know me to know how to live in relationship with me, to know how to do what I want them to do. God's given us the message in his word. It's the only message we need. And so here's the thing. If you have access to a Bible, and you do, if you don't, own, if you don't have your own Bible, there should be one right in front of you. Take it. It's yours. If you have access to a Bible you have access to God's message. And so, I don't know what to say. Well, at best, that's only a useful excuse for a short time. We need to learn. And we have lots of opportunities to do that. So God says, tell them what I've told you, that'll be enough. Next excuse, Moses said to the Lord, this is chapter 4, now verse 10. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. Lord, we've been here for at least 10 minutes and you haven't changed me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. <laughs> Excuse number three, that's not my gift. That's not my gift. Lord, you tell me you want to be your messenger, but I'm not a good speaker. Which is really, it's, it's kind of funny. This is, this is like a backhanded way of blaming God. You know, Lord, you're asking me to do something that you haven't given me the ability to do. Uh, really? Look at God's verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now Go! I will help you speak. Literally, I will be with your mouth. And I will teach you what to say. So God's promises, I will help you. Stop worrying about your inability. Focus on my ability. I will help you. See, the problem here is that Moses has gone beyond humility to the point of paralysis. He's afraid to take a risk. He's more afraid of taking a risk and failing than he is of disobeying God. 
That's messed up. And yet I've been there. You probably have too. We're more afraid of failing, probably because of what people will think of us, than we are afraid of disobeying God. And we're often afraid and unwilling to do something new, something different, because even though we're pretty sure God wants us to do it, because we've never done that before, we avoid stepping out of our comfort zones and we use the excuse, well, that's not my gift. I'm just not good at that, I no. All right, let's be clear on why God gives us gifts. Why God gives us, you know, certain strengths, certain abilities. God gives us gifts so that we will be extra effective in some things, not so we can say no to everything else. God gives us lots of responsibilities, and we're not gifted for all of them. You know, I, I'm not particularly gifted in evangelism and sharing the good news of Jesus with people. I love to do it, and I have to do it. And you, We have to do that if you're a believer in Christ. Some people are gifted at it, but that doesn't get those of us who aren't gifted off the hook. Or you may not be gifted in counseling, but you still have the responsibility to encourage and comfort your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's lots of things that, we're, that God expects us to do that we're not gifted to do, but that doesn't mean we can say, oh, sorry, not my gift. So instead of limiting yourself to what you're already good at, make it your goal to be, ready for this, fat. Fat, F-A-T, faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. I would much rather be a part of a church full of fat people who do not have impressive gifts than to be a part of a church with people with all kinds of impressive gifts who are unfaithful, unavailable, and unteachable. Look, God can use any old shrub if he's the one setting it on fire. And I thought of something this morning. It's not in my notes, but it occurred to me this morning. Uh, Something I've heard many times over the years, and something you may have thought You might see a need or an opportunity, and you're going to think to yourself about this person named somebody. And you think, somebody ought to meet this need. Somebody ought to take care of this situation. Somebody ought to... I want to make a suggestion that when that thought occurs to you, it may very well be that God is saying, you're somebody. Now, maybe not. Maybe not. But it's at least worth praying about and exploring and talking to somebody and say, hey, I see this need and I'm wondering if maybe God's wanting me to do something about it. I don't know if you're familiar with Gladys Alward. Her story is absolutely amazing. uh, And I highly recommend you read it if you haven't. If you do nothing else, look, look her up on Wikipedia, not now, but afterward. 
and, and just read her story. It's incredible. She went to China in 1930, and God used her to do amazing things. Um, later in life, when she was elderly, somebody asked her about her time in China, and she said this about her, her feeling of her lack of giftedness. She says, I was not God's first choice for what I've done in China. I don't know who it was. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Alward, and God said, well, she's willing. <laughs> Actually, I'm not so sure she wasn't God's first choice. But if she had stayed home and said, that's not my gift, she would have missed out on so much joy, on bringing so much glory to Jesus. And that brings us to excuse number four. Chapter four, verse 13. Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Excuse number four. There's got to be someone else. Someone else would do a better job. Someone else would do a better job. And you know something? That might very well be true. That might very well be true. With just about anything we do, there's probably somebody on the planet who could do it better. But that isn't the point. Look at God's answer, verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as, he, as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. All right, now look at this, verse 17. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Isn't that amazing? After all his excuses, after all his whining, after all of his attempts to get out of what God wants him to do, God says, in effect, I still want to use you. Take this staff in your hand and go and do miraculous things with it. I want to use you. That's phenomenal. It is amazing to me that God doesn't say, all right, that's it. I've had it. With all these excuses, that's it. Go on. Get out of here. Go play with your sheep. I'll use somebody else. He doesn't do that. God still wants to use Moses. God still wants to bless Moses. God still wants to give joy and meaning and do amazing things through Moses. And God wants to use you believer in Jesus. He wants to use you for your good, for your joy. He wants to make a difference through you. He's so gracious. I know you feel inadequate at times. I know you feel like somebody else would do a better job. He wants to use you. Many years ago, when I was a student at Western Seminary, Pastor E.V. Hill came, spoke in chapel, 
And he, he spoke on this same portion of Scripture, this experience in Moses' life, and he pointed out how when God came down to deliver the Israelites, he did it by sending Moses. God said, I have come down, Moses, therefore you go. And Pastor Hill looked at all of us sitting out there in chapter in, in chapel and he said, You. Moses was God's answer then. But you, you the church of Jesus Christ, you are God's answer today. You are God's answer. He wants to use you. So don't say, who am I? I'm inadequate. We don't want to say, that's not my gift. I don't know what to say. Somebody else would do a better job. God wants to use you. It's incredible. It's amazing. But it's true. You are created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. So I encourage you, fill your mind and heart. When you, when you start feeling inadequate, when you start feeling like, I don't think I really want to do that. That's risky. I don't think I have that gift. I'm not sure what to say. Somebody else would do better. I have to tell you this. Uh, there have been a couple times over the years where someone's called me and, and they have a friend and maybe that friend's going through a crisis. They might even be in the hospital on their deathbed and they'll say, Pastor, would you go and, and share the gospel with them? Share the good news. I want them to know Jesus. It's like, well, yeah, I'd be happy to share the gospel with them. But you have something that I don't have. Forget seminary degrees. You don't need a seminary degree to share the gospel. You've got something I don't have. You know what it is? It's a relationship with your friend. They're going to listen to you. I've done this. You know, they go and they hear my pastor and they're very polite. They always listen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for coming. But it's like, this is the profession. This guy gets paid to do this stuff. You do it because you know them and you love them and you care about them. That is so much more compelling than Pastor Scott said. God wants to use you. He wants to use me too. But each in our own way. Let's focus on his promises not on our excuses. Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment to ask, what are your go-to excuses? Do you focus on your inadequacy, your lack of gifting, you don't know what to say? Somebody else would do a better job. Maybe it's something else. I just want to encourage you to realize that God wants to use you. God has good works for you to do. And you, you really won't know the joy that God has for you if you keep making excuses for why you can't do or shouldn't do what God wants you to do. Father, help us. Help us get beyond these excuses.
and just do what you've called us to do, trusting in you to be with us, to help us, to, to enable us to know what to say, to be used by you. Father, may you be in our minds and hearts far bigger than the excuses we have. Help us stop being afraid of what you want us to do. Thank you that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen.